Hello and welcome to Truer Love Stories, a podcast dedicated to real people wanting to create real love. I'm your host, Taryn Newton-Gill. In each episode, we'll explore the stories of people who are at a crossroads in their love life. I'll help our guests navigate their personal love story by providing them with holistic ways of writing a new, more empowered narrative around love, one that's truly aligned with who they are and what they want. Communication. It seems like such a simple concept. I say how I feel, you say how you feel, and we'll live happily ever after, right? Yeah, not exactly. Communication is one of the greatest keys to connection, yet it can be so difficult and even painful to honestly say how we feel, especially if you have an anxious attachment style where you live in constant fear of someone rejecting or leaving you. Pair this with the judgments we learn to place on ourselves from society and the world around us, and it's easy to bury our true feelings and let resentment quietly build. The problem with this is that real intimacy and connection can only be made when we're being honest. This is the case for our guest today, who so rawly shares her story of what it's been like for her to learn to let go of her painful self-judgments and open herself up to true connection. Let's hear what she has to share. Hello, thank you so much for being here today. It's my pleasure. I am so glad you are willing to come on this podcast because I know that you have been working really hard on communicating. I know we've had many a conversation about your journey with communication and, you know, that's something that I'm really passionate about is helping people find the best ways to communicate in their relationships. And so I really appreciate you being willing to share yourself with us today. So I just want to, you know, for our listeners, tell them a little bit about your story. I know that you, um, you've always been a relationship oriented person and you've always had close relationships and friendships and always thought of yourself as a strong communicator. But in the past year, you've been really zeroing in on your growth and on, really getting to know yourself, I guess, on a deeper level and kind of your patterns and where all your relationships come from. And Mm -hmm. in that journey, you've discovered that you have an anxious attachment style. Yes. And that it's actually super challenging and sometimes even painful for you to say how you really feel in certain relationships. Am I kind of summarizing all of that accurately, would you say? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, I would say as I've been doing this work, um, it becomes more and more apparent to me that these patterns are pervasive in every relationship that I have, whether it's personal or professional, someone that I've known for years, someone that I've just met. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Which makes sense. It's everyone has an attachment style and it affects us in all of our relationships. Mm -hmm. And I know, especially though, really intimate relationships, is where it can get really, really painful to say how we feel more so. And so I'm wondering, you know, when you are in a situation where there's an issue that's come up for you in any given relationship, can you kind of describe like what communicating is like for you, what your process is, maybe what feelings come up for you, 
uh, kind of what's going through your head when it happens? I would say um, I have a very visceral reaction when I, I, this is my new noticing of myself and my body sensations um, that I, I get very hot. My chest constricts, my palms start to sweat. um, And I just, it's like becomes the last thing that I want to do in that moment um, is say what I need to say to whatever, whoever it is that um, I'm having some kind of conflict with. And um, it's, I actually had this happen to me um, last week with my mother where I needed to say something to her. I needed to set a boundary, ask her for something. And I had, I, it was like this sickening grip that I felt um, that immediately led to tears <laughs> because the, you know, this like revelation came out of it of how on earth, like, could I feel this way about my mother who has always been just this like paragon of sweetness and acceptance and love and comfort. Um, and I think the answer is that because I've, I'm realizing now like the truth, right. I'm having this big awakening around like the truth of, of her and my father and our dynamic and, um, and things not actually being what I thought they were. And that's really painful. Mm. And so it sounds like there's fear around, will she actually respond in the way I always thought she would respond? Yes. I mean, and I think that there is, I think there's inherent fear of rejection, no matter what, even when you can consciously say, that's ridiculous. Like, Mm -hmm. my mother is not going to stop talking to me. You know, my mother, obviously, everyone's family dynamic is different. And um, a lot of people don't have relationships with their parents. I'm currently living at my parents' home, in my parents' home, which is difficult as an adult um, to go back and you do tend to regress. Um, but I'm very happy because I'm having so much <laughs> clarity around, again, mm-hmm. the truth um, and being able to recognize those patterns and, and hopefully start to change them. Yeah. And so this is something that comes up in a lot of your relationships. Would you say the same kind of visceral reaction you have? I would say yes, although there's, this is new for me. It's very new. And I think back, um, you know, because I was married, um, I was married for six years and, and I can't, it's so hard to even think about what I felt when I, because I was so shut down and I was so so unwilling and unable to speak my needs to my ex-husband that I don't think I was feeling anything. I think that I was very Mm. numb in some very, very notable and painful ways, um, which I never would, I would never have said that because no one who's ever met me would ever describe me as numb or emotionally shut down ever ever. You will never find a person who will describe me as emotionally shut down. Maybe my sister, <laughs> because she knows and it's also her work, but you know, like generally, um, yes, not, you're very, not my descriptor. And that's so interesting because our outward self who we project, you know, it's like in astrology, we have our rising sign and our sun sign, but our moon sign is who we really are inside. 
Yes. And that's very private. And if we're not aware of what's going on in ourselves, then we might associate who we are with that outward projection. Yes. And then we're not connected to what we really need. Exactly. And for me, you know, my outward projection, my personality is a Gemini, which is a huge personality for anyone who knows, you know, anything about the signs that it's just a big, fun, creative ball of energy that you're just always running around having the best time ever. And my moon is in Scorpio, which can Mm. also be very, which can be very intense and very private and very emotional. And I didn't, same, like I didn't realize that I always had heavily identified as a Gemini and still do. But when I think about Scorpio and I read where it's like, this is actually who you are. This is the real you, not your rising sign. Um, It's the raw you. It's the raw, yes. Internal, who you are at home, in your private thoughts, when you don't think anyone's watching and when you're not judging yourself. I would say. Yes. Yes. And, and of course, judgment, self-judgment is a huge piece of being unable to speak needs yes. because when you have a need and then you immediately judge it and say, you're being ridiculous, you're being needy, you're being that girl. There's also a very like gendered thing here of, you know, I don't want to be that girl. I want to be the cool girl. I want to be the girl who's just easy breezy, you know, I can totally hang out and watch football and play video games or, you know, and these are also like gender specific stereotypes. Not all men like football and video games. A lot of women love football and video games, but it's the example of that what I need isn't real, doesn't matter. And this other person comes before me. And that has been my entire existence, starting with my parents and my siblings and then moving to the outer world of let me take care of everybody else. Right. Which is interesting and makes so much sense because there's so many layers that are the root of that, you know? So there's first off the very nature of anxious attachment. That's how it functions. It puts other people's needs before ours because we're afraid if we state our needs, we will be rejected or abandoned Yes. Or judged. And so we develop this core wound of feeling unworthy of expressing our needs, unworthy of receiving the love that we would need to feel like we can express our needs. And that visceral feeling you're talking about, that is very much the attachment part of it. It's very real in your body, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's actually biologically rooted in our attachment system, in our different hormones, you know. So that's one piece. And then it's interesting because the judgment piece, I think, for me in in the way I think about it, is so cultural. Mm -hmm. When you start talking about the gender roles and the the norms of, I remember I used to feel that when I tried to express myself when I was dating, that I thought I was going to come across as that needy girl, Mm -hmm. you know? And I didn't want to, that was the last thing I wanted to be. I didn't want to be needy and clingy or these really horrible crazy crazy Crazy. god forbid you be the crazy girl oh my god yeah Yeah, can we just pull that out of our like collective vocabulary right now yes I actually did I actually did say that to someone recently (laughs) not about pulling it out of the out of our vocabulary but someone 
I, I, I said something to someone, not about a need, but about, um, I apologized for something. And he said, are you crazy? Like no need to apologize. So it was even, it was in, it was even like put in a positive light and, or it was in a positive container, but I still went back to him and said, you know, hot tip, like no one likes, <laughs> no one likes being, you know, called crazy or asked if they're crazy, especially women. Yeah. And he was like, uh, I just, I mean, I mean, he, it was so yeah. Hot tip. <laughs> hot tip. <laughs> oh my God. I want to like post that on Instagram right now. Like yes. hot tip. Don't call women crazy. Um, I want my podcast to be called hot tip and I, I'm sure there's already one called hot tip. I love that. I'm gonna have to look that up. It's so true though. And if you think about it, you know, all of those stereotypes do come from the anxious attachment style and especially Mm -hmm. the crazy one, because the, when we get triggered and we need the reassurance, that's the protest behavior. That's the, when and protest behavior, I know you know what it is, but for our listeners is when we feel a threat to any given relationship, we'll overcompensate and try to reestablish that connection at all costs, meaning, you know, reaching out constantly, texting, calling a lot. The show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is the quintessence of this example. And it's because when anxious attachments are not getting the reassurance we need, that whole visceral thing you were talking about, that fear that that's in our bodies takes over. And another form of protest behavior is avoiding, but That's for another podcast episode. Um, But it's interesting because men also have anxious attachment styles. And so there is the piece that they can feel nervous or need reassurance. They're not stereotyped for it. Right. Right. You don't think of people saying that crazy man. Right. That needy man. Right. It's totally different in that way. And so... That's why this work is so important, especially for women to not only know what their needs are, to be encouraged to say them, but also then on top of that, everything in our culture is telling us as women, other people's needs come first. Yes. And it's interesting because we as a society value strength and independence, which are very masculine qualities. And even... In post-feminist America, with the women's movement, women kind of adopted men's qualities of being independent and I can do this by myself. And in Attached, that really famous attachment book I talk about all the time that I know a lot of people have read, they very wisely talk about the difference between independence and Mm self-sufficiency and that Women do want to be self-sufficient. We want to be able to take care of ourselves. We don't want to be dependent on men for our basic needs. But the fact that we immediately go to independence, which means doing something alone, is actually counterintuitive to humans who are a social species and need each other and actually physically are meant to bond with each other. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And But because of this patriarchal, society and the toxic focus on masculine qualities, we have adopted those. And so the ideas of expressing our needs and our emotions and, you know, feeling like we need someone for validation or reassurance, which is perfectly natural, is actually looked down upon. And because we live in this masculine world, 
it ends up being a misogynistic thing that we are the ones who are emotional and needy and weak, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting how all of that consciously and subconsciously shows up when we simply want to communicate something. Right. A completely reasonable need. Yeah. Something that's completely reasonable, but this is like the internal process that takes place. Right. So heavy. There's so much. (laughs) There is so much. (laughs) I had so much to wade through to get those words out of my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And, you know, we can laugh about it now in our, you know, self-deprecating humor, but it is so real. Um, I know for you, it has been for me. And, and so it's interesting. So when you say the, the process and the feelings that come up when you go to express yourself, it sounds like it's kind of, um, well, judgment is one thing. Mm-hmm. What other feelings would you say come up for you in that process? <sighs> what other feelings? It feels difficult to say because I'm not seeing anybody. Um, I do have an example uh, from January where I was spending time with someone and he did something that I was very triggered by. And instead of saying it in the moment, speaking truth to my feelings, I just, I buried them and I buried them for a week and then uh, got some great advice from my coach, Tara Newton Gill, a truer love, um, (laughs) to go to him and say, say, this is what happens. And I would like to discuss it. And I would like to say these things and, and talk about it because, you know, as you said, this was the perfect opportunity because there was nothing to lose. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't dating him. He wasn't my boyfriend. He wasn't my husband. He was someone that I knew, had known very briefly. Um, and also someone who positioned himself as someone who's very open to that. Yes. As someone who had positioned himself who, as an open person, as a elevated you know, aware, conscious man. And so when we were on the phone and we were on FaceTime, so we could see each other, which, you know, makes it more intimate. um, I was starting to, you know, prepare myself (laughs) to say this thing to him. And like I said, I felt sick. I felt sick in my body. Like I was going to throw up. And I got hot and my throat was tight and my head was like in a vice. And then I said the thing and he did get a little defensive um, on the front end, which I thought was funny. (laughs) Uh, But like we had the whole conversation, which, you know, was not very long. And he said, you really could have said that like in the moment, that would not have been a problem. And right. um, Instead of stuffing it for a week and, and carrying it with you. But that's exactly the anxious attachment part of we bury our needs and then the resentment yes. kind of gets too big. That's how the resentment forms. And the mark of secure people is that they do bring their needs up in the moment. Yes. Which is very hard for people with insecure attachment styles. Not just anxious. Avoidant people also don't bring their needs up in the moment. But it's a different process. Yes. Um, same with fearful avoidant. All insecure styles struggle to bring things up in the moment. And it's interesting because you said you feel sick. And both times that I've asked you the process, it's very body oriented for you, it sounds like. Yes. Um, Because I would think, to me, the feelings I would imagine you feel are fear, 
mm-hmm. maybe some shame or guilt. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like those aren't active feelings as much as your body taking precedence over the process for you. Yes. Well, and I would say, you know, that has also been a big part of my journey is reconnecting to my body, you know, because, you know, body, mind, spirit connection, it's all about curious living and recognizing feelings in your body, emotions that you're experiencing, being able to name them. And it's, it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of practice. And that's why I feel that my body now that I have kind of turned up, you know, like I've come to the table saying, oh, hey, like we used to be really close. Like, let's be friends again. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, you're important to me. And I think we need to really be in this together and kind of repartner uh, so that we can, you know, live as our most authentic self and, you know, on our highest path and all that. Um and of course, you know, like COVID added a whole layer of drama. But I would definitely say fear is huge. Fear is a huge thing that I feel. Shame and guilt are huge things that I feel. I'd say in, in that example, yeah, because I, it's like I feel guilty or ashamed that I would even bring up something so inane that I would even make a big deal out of something that is just not a big deal. So I I have the feeling and sensation, then I completely undercut it. And the voice is like, you're an idiot. Like you're, you know, it's that like, yeah, the deep, deep judgment of like, I mean, I remember in in the moment at in January when this happened and like we were outside, there was another person involved and I was like talking myself off the ledge in the moment. I was like, you can chill. You can chill right now. That's fine. It's fine. Whatever. Um, But as the situation progressed and the thing that was triggering me continued on, I, I mean, at one point, like I stood up, I like did some stretching. I, you know, I moved my body. I just was like, uh, because I couldn't just turn to him and say, the words to recognize the need and validate my own experience. Yes. That is exactly what I was just thinking is that the need comes up, the feeling, but before you can even be okay with it yourself, you're invalidating it through your own judgment and your own fear that you're even having it. Yes. So you repress it yourself because you think it's inane or stupid And that's why I really encourage people that all your feelings are valid. No feelings can be wrong, right? You might be able to be open to a new perspective, but you can't gain that new perspective on your feelings if you keep them in your own head. Right. And in that anxious spiral, especially that's how anxiety works, is we get stuck in our head. And the more stuck in our head we are, the more we don't want to be. And then it perpetuates itself. Yes. And then I think it just feels like such a big thing. This thing that we think is so small and inane and silly becomes this huge thing in our bodies. And so kind of like the contrast between the small thing that we think happened and the big feeling inside of us, it's almost like I think the fear is they're going to think I'm crazy that I'm making such a big deal out of this little thing because it feels so big in us. Right. Yeah. There's that word we love again, crazy. Yes. (laughs) But after that experience, though, how did you feel when you actually did finally bring it up to him? Uh, I calmed down. (laughs) My body calmed down. 
you know, it released, uh, the tension was released. Um, the deeply nauseated feeling went away, you know, and then we had more conversation and then we spoke, you know, for another, whatever, 20 minutes it was. And And it was um, all good. And it was all good. It was all good. And I, I think, yeah, just even going through it again, it again, is just like so incredibly fascinating because I, like I have been living in my masculine my whole life. Like this is also the reconnection to body is reconnection to the feminine reconnection to the grounded earth mother, you know, um, pulling away from that hyper independent problem solver, analytic mm-hmm. intelligence that, you know, which I think a lot of women, because we're constantly trying to prove ourselves, it's always like, I can get this done. I'm smart. I'm capable. Like I can run this show. Um, and all that is true and real and wonderful. But when you only live in that space, that's where the imbalance is happening. And that is where I find myself in a life that I don't recognize that I is not what I want, that is not serving me. And to, so when I go through this process again, and then I immediately jump back into, you know, childhood and I think about, well, and this is why this is this way, because like my dad was like this and my mom was like this. And, and I can get more into detail about that if you would like, but you know, that whole thing of like the bonding that was missing the safety that was missing, the things that children, especially in their first three years of life, need in order to have a solid foundation to be able to live as themselves and have authentic life in balance. It's just, I mean, it's very overwhelming to think about. I mean, you know, and that's the kids who have, you know, an economically stable two-parent household, right? you know, who are like, solidly middle class and uh privileged you know as as I am right um so even privileged people well privileged people are dealing with this in their own way but then it it adds in a whole other layer like we were talking about the cultural layers yes you know not being privileged in whatever way that might be whether it's economic or racial privilege all of that gender adds this whole other layer of how did we attach to someone? I mean, we could go on. Did our parents have mental health issues? There's so many factors that shape us, but, um, well in, on that note about privilege, I think that was also a huge piece of my denial of my feelings and of my truth was I was just living in this big that bucket of gratitude. Oh, I'm so lucky. Like, I'm so lucky. My parents are together. I love my siblings. I have a good, strong family around me. And again, all that is true and real. And I am grateful for it. But it just added, it was part of, you know, a very specific list of ingredients that led me to, you don't get to complain about anything. Mm-hmm. Your needs aren't real because all of your most basic needs are being met. You know, on Maslow's chart, it's like, I'm, I have a roof over my head. I have food on the table. Both of my parents are here. What more could I want? Right. But Maslow's chart is just the bones, I think. And then really you got to layer the chakra system over it. Well, that's the whole is- thing. Yeah. That 
is the literally the first thing you need as an in, but it's literally just the beginning. It's just the beginning of the thing that you, there's three more layers up there. There's all this other self-actualization things that have to happen for you to be living as your highest and most authentic self. And I think that when you're born into privilege, it's incredibly easy to, to do what I did and just kind of be living in that gratitude. And like, I don't get to ask for more. There's people, I mean, literally it was like, there's people starving in Africa. There's children in cages at the border. Like what the hell am I complaining about? Are you serious? And that was my whole life. Right. And that's very real as much as the children living in cages and all of those things need to be addressed, you know, but does it mean that your experience of, emotional processing because the truth is when we can be more our authentic selves and fully step into ourselves we're more able to help other people yes that's it it's the you know it's the put the air mask on yourself first before you help the child next to you on the airplane analogy you know yes like love yourself first you can never you know you can't it's like you can't even know what love is until you love yourself first um right and going back to what you were saying about feeling imbalanced and living in your masculine a lot, I thought was really interesting because I've been reading Jill Willard's book, Intuitive Being, and she's an intuitive psychic and she takes you through all the chakras and, and talks about why being connected to each chakra is so important for your full actualization Mm -hmm. and for living authentically, how having each chakra balanced helps you to be your full authentic self, right? Mm -hmm. And to be fully connected to your intuition and what you need. And she talks about the four aspects of being. I think I may have mentioned this to you before, but I found it so interesting that there's intellectual, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And that our physical and our intellectual aspects of being are masculine, Mm -hmm. energetically speaking. And spiritual and emotional or more feminine aspects of being. Yes. I and wrote these in my journal <laughs> during one of, of our coaching calls. This is why it's coming back to me. Yes. And what happens is like we were saying in our culture, we value the physical and the intellectual more. We trust it more. We can see it, you know, science, academics. You can monetize it. Statistics. We can monetize it. It's tangible, Right. And it's hard for people to believe in things sometimes that are intangible. But what she says is you need all of them because when we are too hyper intellectual or physical, then we're blocking the nuances in life, the Mm. nuances in relationships, in relating to people and understanding kind of the more subtle core point about things. Mm -hmm. And when we are too hyper in our spiritual or our emotional sides, we have no grounding, right? We're kind of floating more and we can't get things done. We don't have anything physical holding us down. So it's like finding a way to embrace all those things that sometimes feel like they're at odds with each other, you know? Yes. How can I be both? And that's going back to this idea of self-sufficiency versus independence. I really appreciate that idea of like, okay, I can be a self-sufficient person who's aware of my needs at the same time Mm -hmm. because I also am embracing this idea of my needs and feelings being important while also knowing I don't actually 
quote unquote, need, you know, my husband to survive, you know? And so, yeah, that's kind of the goal I feel like is to be able to balance all of that. And it's a daily minute to minute practice. I think I always say every moment is another opportunity to be aware of and express our needs just because we didn't do it the day before or however many years before doesn't mean we can't do it today. And so I would say to you, or I guess I'm wondering based on that, going back to your experience with the guy in January, Mm -hmm. do you think that has helped you heal a little bit in seizing that moment as an opportunity to practice expressing your needs and then being able to get them met? Do you think that's kind of affected you at all or changed your process at all? I do. I do. Absolutely. I think it was a terrific thing to do. I think it was exactly the right thing to do. The thing that that I still get tripped up on most, I find, um, and even in this example, or my earlier example about my mother is about like, how do you, what words will communicate best the need in order to get the desired response. So when I think about that, that's where I go because I'm just so incredibly sensitive to not wanting to hurt other people's feelings. That's the whole thing too, as well. The people pleaser, you know, the caretaker as women, you know, we're taught like that it's our number one goal to make other people feel good and safe and cared about. And, and that's been a hard thing for me to reconcile because I absolutely feel that in myself as an authentic piece of my feminine, but it's been blown way out of proportion. Um, And so I I think that's where I still need to do some work about one, being able to speak the need in the moment and knowing the right words to use. Mm -hmm. Yes. The word piece is big. It comes up a lot. For me with clients, people are always wanting scripts, Mm. (laughs) which I did create a script of 25 prompts for setting boundaries with kindness. It's a great list. Great list. (laughs) Which you can get in my link tree on my Instagram (laughs) at underscore truer love underscore. But, you know, it's hard because not every situation calls for the same script or the same words. And actually in the throat chakra section of her book, intuitive being that I was just referring to. And this month at Truer Love, we're focusing on the throat chakra, hence why we're having this conversation. Mm -hmm. She talks about how the words we say aren't as important as our energy going into it. And she gives the suggestion of imagining a blue light around your heart Mm -hmm. and maybe even like visualizing that blue light wrapping around your body and then encapsulating the other person you're trying to talk to. Mm. And this idea of just this love connecting you. And I find that when we can tap into that energy, you know, this is something I've always done. I, I didn't have the visual of the blue light. So thank you, Jill, for that. But it really is a game changer when it comes to communicating, I think. And one little trick that I have that I've given to friends and they've called me afterwards saying like, that was amazing. Thank you so much for suggesting that is before I have a really big heart to heart with someone, which is a little different than kind of your just average 
communicating, you know, but when you have the opportunity, it's helpful to think of all the things you love about that person and to really think like, why am I having this conversation? Kind of reconnecting with your why of the relationship. Why is this relationship important to me? Why am I putting myself through this process of forcing myself to say something that's really hard for me? There's got to be a benefit or a reason behind that, that I think it's worth it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when we can connect to that and remember, I love this person, even if I'm upset with them or frustrated or hurt or whatever the case may be, I want this to work. And I want this communication to connect us. You know, I remind people sometimes that communication is like a bridge. It really serves a function in relationships. It's not just this like, I need to express my feelings. Like it's not really just always this fluffy thing because I want to be intimate. It actually serves a function just like a bridge does. I need to get from this piece of land (laughs) to this piece of land. So I need something to help me do that. And communication does that, you know, but when it's really emotionally charged or something that's difficult to say, we get clouded by all that emotion. And so how can we strip it down to the bare bones of what's important? I care about this person. These are the things I love about them and go in with that energy and kind of cushion it with that, you know, lead with the things that you love about them. And then I think from there, it becomes a little easier to transition into the harder thing because you kind of have that pillow, you know, underneath it to help you say it. And that seems to work for me. Uh, It doesn't make it easy necessarily. It doesn't necessarily make it less painful, but I do think it does shift the energy of the conversation so that the person who's receiving the information can feel where you're coming from a little bit better. Mm -hmm. You know, that's my hot tip (laughs) on that. Terrific. I love the image of the blue light. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the thing, I mean, you know, like relationships are complicated and I'd say there's no more complicated relationship than the one you have with your parents, which then, you know, dictates the way that you walk through the world. And I appreciate having the opportunity to engage with my parents on a regular basis, even though it's very painful. (laughs) So maybe that would be, maybe that's the practice I need to be doing more intentionally while I'm in this space. Um, Mm. Because of course my avoidant (laughs) just is like, nope, I just want to stay in my room and just (laughs) not engage and just uh, move forward. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Like you said, parent relationships are the most complicated. They're usually the most triggering. And the reason romantic relationships or relationships with our future children are also triggering is because we often carry those same patterns with us unless we are actively doing that growth work on ourselves. You know, I very much attracted relationships where I was reactive all the time the way I grew up. But when I started learning about attachment and becoming more aware and actively understanding where my feelings came from, it made me more able to choose someone who is secure, who is not reactive the way that my family is reactive. And so when I get that way, he's calm and it kind of just softens me Mm. to being less reactive. And so the pattern can be stopped, you know? Granted, I can still be reactive in and of myself, and God knows that's going to be a thing with my children someday, but at least they'll have their father to balance out. (laughs) But, you know, I say that too, because 
it can be really difficult to judge our growth based on how we interact with our parents, because there's also the fact that they are of a different generation. I find that people in our parents' generation don't have the language. Talk about wording Mm -hmm, and language. mm -hmm. They don't even have the language sometimes of simple, what we consider simple words relating to psychology. Like they just didn't grow up with that kind of lingo or that awareness. So they maybe aren't in the practice of putting words to their feelings or really even knowing when I'm feeling anxiety. You know, they might know basic emotions. Right. And so when we come from this really like educated, self-aware place, I feel like there is sometimes a disconnect in communicating with them. So I tell clients like, don't judge your growth off how you interact with your parents because that relationship, that relationship is going to re-trigger you. It's going to get you into old patterns and it's going to be very difficult and very, I think, kind of frustrating and disappointing because they might not be able to adjust the way you're hoping they will. Now, is that saying across the board, people shouldn't try to better their relationship with their parents? No, but I find that with parents, especially because there's so much history packed in there, Mm -hmm. it's kind of breaking it down to micro issues one at a time and repeating that issue until it's resolved before moving on to the next one. Mm. Whereas in new relationships, we have the ability to set the tone for how we want to go about it, how we want to be treated, how we want to communicate. And we can actually select this person. I think you're going to receive what I have to say well based on who you are. And so I'm going to choose to engage with you. We don't have that freedom or luxury with our parents. And it can be really overwhelming to tackle it all at one time. Yes. So, you know, I would say choose one specific issue that really comes up a lot and really just focus on that one for a while. Because I think parents do well with repetition in that way, Mm -hmm. with just driving the point home, you know, and they can manage it. And especially if it's specific, being specific is really, really good. Using examples. And when something comes up, I mean, this applies to all relationships, but it's just extra important when you have a relationship with a lot of history and a lot to unpack. Mm -hmm. The more specific you can be and if it's recent. So that whole going back to being able to communicate in the moment, maybe you need a moment to go process it for yourself, but I would not wait longer than a day or two Mm -hmm. and then come back, imagine the blue light, Think about what you really want to say. Think about, I love my mother. I want a good relationship with her. And now can I say to her, when this happened the other day, something she can remember. Yes. You know? Circle back. And see clearly in her mind. Yes. Rather than bringing up something from 10 years ago that she's going to say, I don't remember that. Of course. You know? I think it, it can be more effective that way. Um, I agree. I think that's such a great point. And I, and I really appreciate, thank you for bringing that to me and for, for naming that because that's so real. And I think that my parents get overwhelmed when I talk about, you know, what, what things were like when I was a child, um, and mm-hmm. how things went and, you know, what I, you know, I never want them to feel attacked. I'm trying to give them information, but it's more, it could be more about me, speaking out loud to process the truth right and like maybe they don't actually need to be part of that <laughs> um, I would say that's correct uh, yes. because I think that this yeah you're right it, it, like 
focusing on the here and now saying like, this is the moment where we're deciding that we want to be better, different on a healing journey together. And, you know, and let's see how that can look. Um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and again, it's practice. And I would say based on your recent experiences, I know you mentioned you're not seeing anyone right now. However, I do know that you kind of had an interaction last week or so, Mm -hmm. and you were telling me about that process. And I thought it was so interesting just comparing even that situation with your situation from January, how much it seems your internal process has shifted in the moment. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, the situation I'm talking about and how you were able to kind of talk to yourself and self-soothe a little more in that situation. I don't know if you feel comfortable talking about it. No, absolutely. I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to find the, because there were, well, so there have not been two interactions with this person. Um, and so I'm trying to go back to the first one. Um, yeah, something, well, I, I don't know if there's like a specific thing that you're talking about, like very specific, or if it's just like the general, um, encounter, Yeah. So it was the fact that you were uncomfortable with something, but I think the piece that was different was that rather than invalidating your feelings immediately and stuffing them down, you validated your feelings in your internal process. Yes. Right. Yes. And then we're able to communicate boundaries more easily. Right. Yes. So I spent some time with someone who, um, I met a few years ago. We had one, date, um, that became physical, let's say like medium physical. Um, there was no intercourse. Uh, I don't even think we took our clothes off, but (laughs) anyway, uh, became moderately physical. And, um, and then, you know, I didn't see him after that pandemic, la la. So he had reached out to me about getting dinner. And so I went to his place Um, and he cooked me dinner, which is already, which already is an intimate space, right? When you're in someone's home, when they're making food for you, it definitely is one of those, um, you know, there's a Brene Brown, like phrase that I cannot think of something about like, like, it's like a jumpstarting intimacy or I have to find out what that is, but it's basically, it's like hot wiring intimacy where, you don't really know this person. You spent very little time together. Um, but certain things you can do make you feel closer to them and make you feel like you've got this special bond. Um, and especially for people with an anxious attachment, I think that's very, very sexy to do things where you feel seen and taken care of and valued. And, and, and so, Mm -hmm. you know, I, and it was my suggestion. That was the other thing, which I've realized is that he, he said, let's go out and do this thing. And I was like, oh no, let's like stay in and do this thing. Um, (laughs) you know, which, (laughs) which was really nice. My thing was that because we had had a physical interaction and because I was making the assumption that he was physically, romantically, sexually interested uh, in me that I would be, I would go to his, his home and not be able to hold a boundary and become physical with him when I didn't want to. And that was a huge fear. It was like crippling. I was thinking about it a lot leading up to it. I thought about texting him and say, say like, just for the record, like, this is not 
sexy time. This is, you know, I, I thought about doing a lot of things and I ended up just going and saying, that's okay. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. You can hold a boundary. It's, you know, mm-hmm. you know, because the thing also is like, you know, I don't feel physically unsafe. I'm not worried that I'm going to be forced to do something that I don't want to do, but there's such deep psychological, you know, there's such a deep psychological tapestry that goes into that as a woman, um, yeah. feeling obligated, feeling pressured, feeling the the desire to be wanted um, and getting a lot of your, your self-love from that, which is very unhealthy um, because we are not supposed to be seeking the outside value. But also it's the piece of actually wanting to f- be physical also, yes. right? Can be so hard. And I think that's where we get really tripped up sometimes in our boundaries because, well, I want this. I'm an independent woman. I can have sex. I can, you know, enjoy myself. I have these physical needs, which is all true. But if it's done in a situation where we're going to fulfill that physical need, but the emotional need, or, you know, you mentioned we should be able to validate ourselves. Self-validation, self-love is really important. And yes, of course, that's a lot of the work we do here, which is not looking to outside people for validation, but it's kind of a balance as well, because while we want to know how to validate ourselves and self-soothe and know that our needs are important, even if someone else doesn't say it, it's very natural for us to want validation in relationships, even as a secure person. Mm -hmm. It's a basic need to feel acknowledged, Mm -hmm. you know, but only looking to other people for outside validation is where it gets tricky. Yes. You know? And so it's all those things happening at one time. And yes, just like you said, it's this intimate space where we're hot wired for intimacy. And especially for anxious attachments, we want the intimacy, but it's like we really need the grounding first of knowing that this person is a safe space before we can fully be intimate and vulnerable ourselves in an authentic way. Yes. Otherwise our own internal process is going to kind of weigh down on us and keep us feeling for lack of a better word, crazy. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) It all comes back. That's Um, right. Full circle. Yes. But I brought that up because I just want to, you know, acknowledge the process and the the healing that you've done in this past year, which it's so hard to notice our own growth mm-hmm. and our own healing because it's so micro on a daily basis. But from an outside perspective, even just looking at how hard it was for you to have that conversation about something simple in January with this person who you were not romantically involved with and who you completely invalidated your feelings with internally before bringing it up for a week, Right. And then to see now it's a couple months later. It's April. <laughs> oh, this was in March, yes. <laughs> yes. And, and that you're able to at least just have more awareness around what's going on with you internally to then very slowly bring something up to this person. And that is exactly how it works and how we start building more secure attachment and the ability to really communicate better is exactly what you're doing, which is practicing it. Mm-hmm. And just in these little opportunities that feel really small, but just constantly when you, when we have anxiety, that is our body telling us, I don't feel comfortable with something. Mm-hmm. 
And when we are not comfortable with something, that is a need that needs to be communicated. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you're doing so much work. So I just really want to acknowledge that and say like, you are doing such amazing work that you are so in tune with your body that you're really listening to yourself and practicing just stating your needs when you need to, you know? And I think that if you, you're welcome. And I think that if you just keep doing that, it might not be easy again, but it will get easier, you know? Yes. Yes. I mean, it's exercise. It's a muscle, you know, you just, it, it, it is exhausting being so conscious all the time. <laughs> it's like you're standing guard outside your brain and your heart. And you're like, okay, what's going on? What's going on right now? Okay, yeah. I don't need to deal with this. Um, but the idea behind practicing it is that it becomes more second nature. Yes, you know, absolutely. like any habit, the more you do it, the more it becomes automatic. Yes. And you will find it easier. I promise. Thank you. But... You're doing amazing, and I really appreciate you sharing your story with us today and your heart and being so open about everything. It really is so meaningful, and I know our listeners are going to benefit from it. Thank you for listening to the Truer Love Stories podcast. If you'd like to share your personal love story and have me coach you on air, please email me at hello at truerlove.com. And if you enjoyed listening to today's episode, Your support would mean so much to me. Please make sure to subscribe on Spotify as well as follow me on Instagram at underscore truerlove underscore. You can also join my mailing list and book a free love guidance consultation with me at truerlove.com. In the meantime, stay true to yourself and talk to you soon.